Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, Episode 4. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And as friends, we discovered Charles enjoys movies, but other than major blockbusters from the last 15 years, he hasn't seen any. So as good friends, we decided to expose him to personal favorites and cinematic classics. And this week we watched the 1958 movie Vertigo. So Charles, what was Vertigo about? Oh, big question. <laughs> it seems tricky to summarize, even on a like lowest level plot basis. Um, but uh, it's about um, a retired detective uh, who is racked with guilt about his vertigo, causing him to lose a fellow officer on duty, uh, and he gets called by a former acquaintance to tail his acquaintance's wife. Um, who he suspects is, I guess, possessed by a ghost or something like that, uh, and has suicidal tendencies. Uh, and in following her, he ends up following, falling madly in love with her. Um, and then she ends up presumably literally falling. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so she executes her suicidal tendencies, uh, and... Uh, the main character, John, is so racked with guilt about this that he goes basically insane. Um, but then he finds a woman who looks just like um, his acquaintance's wife, Madeline. 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 Um, and it turns out that this was all a big plot using a lookalike uh, of the acquaintance's wife um, so that he could kill his wife and uh, get away with it and you know exploit John's vertigo uh, to help construct this whole story that uh, you know, she was going to kill herself. Uh, and then, you know, John still feels madly in love with Madeline, um, but he has, I believe Judy is her, yep. is her name? Her real name. Um, and I guess he's really gone insane at this point because he keeps trying to mold her back into Madeline. Um, and... I guess she has fallen in love with him for some reason as well <laughs> and just goes along with the program despite him being clearly insane and very creepy um, and uh, eventually it leads to him realizing the whole plot because he, he sees her using that piece of jewelry he so remembered from Madeline uh, and he brings her back to the place where Madeline had committed suicide um, and I guess he's trying to free himself of his guilt and brings her up to the tower um, and he cures his vertigo. He, make, he makes <laughs> yeah. it to the top of the tower. Happy ending. <laughs> he makes it to the top of the tower, um, but then um, Madeline gets startled and falls to her death. Right. Yeah, I think that Alfred Hitchcock, when I actually asked that question, what's vertigo about, he said, it's boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy meets girl again, boy loses girl again. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, that is what this movie is about. In a, very, yeah. in a very simple, distilled way, I guess that is true. It, right. And he was being glib about it, but yeah. yeah, there's some there's a, you know, a redundancy in this movie, right? Like the, the first half of the movie plays a lot like the second half of the movie. Yeah. And which plays into the themes of obsession, right? This movie is really about... Yeah. One guy that's super obsessed. So before we get too far, Wilson, why don't you tell us like why you chose this movie? A and then we can sorry, few reasons. Get oh, into it. One is I think it's Hitchcock's best movie. And I think that it is Among it, many. Among many great movies, this is his best one. Yeah. And it's important, I think, if you're going to have a complete cinematic diet to have Hitchcock be a significant part of it. Because mm -hmm. he's just a, a seminal American director. 
This movie also recently topped Citizen Kane on the AFI Top 100 American Movies list. Um, so they think evidently that it's the best movie of all time. It's also number two on They Shoot Movies, Don't They?, which is a list of the top 1,000 movies ever, not just American. And they use some strange mm. algorithm to bring in <laughs> <laughs> critics' opinions. It's like the like Metacritic that. of Metacritics. Yeah, it really is. Okay. And, and um, yeah, it's number two behind Citizen Kane and ahead of literally every other movie ever produced. So, right. on the one hand, I wanted to talk about it because it's important, right? Like, it's at the top of all these lists, it's an important sure. movie. I also wanted to talk about it because I feel like when you watch these important movies, especially when someone tells you to watch these important movies, it feels like work, right? It feels like <laughs> that's something you're required to do, like you're be being given an assignment, that it's and it's hard to enjoy it, right? It's hard to embrace it as a movie and not just a thing you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I think that Vertigo is gangbusters as a movie. I think that it doesn't feel like this required classic that you have to watch. It feels like something that you should be watching because it's brilliant and enthralling and complex. Yeah. And I wanted, so I wanted someone who hasn't seen that many classics to respond to that idea of this not just being the thing you have to see, but something that you should want to see because it's so good. Did you have that experience, Charles? Or? So, I do, I do get that impression with movies that people consider to be good that it might start to seem like work to follow them and watch them. I mean, they're often very yeah. complex and, um, you know, maybe hard to follow or dry. You know, I get that impression with what I hear about 2001 A Space Odyssey all the time. I haven't seen that yeah, one yet. That, that's not that's a like contemporary movie. That's one of the movie. things it's I hear <laughs> a lot about yeah, movies I mean, like that. Yeah, I like yeah. 2001, and yes, that's a fair criticism. Yeah. Um, well, that's the criticism of all, like, Kubrick Oh, no, no, that's yeah. not fair. It's 2001. Wait, have, you, have you seen uh, Spartacus? Yeah. Have you, have you seen Spartacus, Charles? No. Okay, so I've Spar seen, like, the, Spartacus the has like scene. an hour of marching in it, <laughs> oh, okay. of like army, armies marching. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a, an ungenerous reading. Of Spartacus. No, no, it's it is long. Okay. It I is mean, long. It's, it's long, but I, yeah. I know I saw like Spartacus. Yeah. That, so that, anyway, getting back getting back to Vertigo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting back to Vertigo, I did not. I definitely did not feel like this movie was work. It was very entertaining to watch. Um, yeah. As just. A detective film to start out with and becoming kind of this uh, watching this insane person for the second half of the film basically um had, had you seen um a jimmy stewart movie before that's a good question no had not seen and him before. what do you think of jimmy stewart had, yeah, yeah this is probably um, his best performance I, I was trying to pay attention to a lot in this movie and i don't know if i noted his performance specifically um I mean, he's, he was kind of, the general consensus is that he was very consciously cast against type, right? Because mm -hmm. I mentioned this off-air last time, I think, that Jimmy Stewart was in many ways the Tom Hanks of his era, right? Like, he was the, okay. the quintessential good guy, yeah. you know, the everyman. Okay. His, his, the role that made him famous is A Wonderful Life, you know, which is just the you know, classic, mm -hmm. decent person. Yeah, he's not like an action star. <clears throat> no, he's not like very sense. relatable. He, he never plays villains, right? Yeah. He, yeah, he never plays anyone that really has a dark past. It's this guy that's yeah. showing America how to be good. And okay. in this movie, he's he is I don't think a bad guy, but it's certainly someone who is a not what we're expecting from right. someone like Jimmy Stewart. Right. And I I don't have that prior context of Jimmy Stewart to really appreciate that difference. Yeah. Um, but he definitely sold that kind of like manic obsession second half of the film, and it really, you know, I was kind of scared of him. Um, yeah, 
going through it. <clears throat> yeah, it Can reminded me a lot of um, One Hour Photo. Like, which I have not uh, seen. Robin, Robin Williams. Robin Williams, so. Yeah, I think I it, it takes... Yeah, sorry, Charles. You, you <laughs> haven't seen it. <laughs> I haven't okay. seen that. Um, okay, well, it's hard to speak to them. But, so Robin Williams is the main character in that, and he is, like, uh, without spoiling it, he's, like, very obsessed in this in that movie, and you, you, you see it slowly build over time, where at first he's, like, very friendly, and then later becomes very menacing. Okay. And it builds... In a similar fashion. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think you, you see a lot of movies influenced by Vertigo in that way. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I think we, we, we've seen The Gift that came out last year, I think, which yeah. has a, a similar dynamic where the guy seems like a normal guy to begin with, and it turns out he's actually insane. Yeah. Um, Phoenix, which is a German movie that came out last year. Has anybody seen Phoenix? Yeah, I saw it. I'm not which is actually. amazing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an amazing movie. It's really good. And it's, uh, Vertigo, it's essentially Vertigo set during post-World War II Germany told from the Kim Novak character's perspective. Mm. And it's it's fascinating. It's really a brilliant film. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yes, it is. Yeah, it, it, uh, and yeah. so you, I think you can see Vertigo, Vertigo's tendrils and influences throughout cinema, especially the psychological thriller angle. Yeah. Okay. So when I, when I first finished watching the film, I had this kind of roller coaster reaction to it. Because, I mean... First of all, watching it for the first time, that ending is very abrupt and very shocking. And so yeah. that, that hit me pretty hard right there. Yeah, like a truck. Because, um, I mean, he kind of plays with whether she's going to die or not. It seems very obvious that she will. And then you think, oh, maybe she'll be all right. It seems like he's not going to, like, throw her off or she's not going to, you know, try to do something. And then the nun shows up and she falls off. You know? Right. So that was, he still managed to make the <clears throat> relatively predictable scene a surprise. Yeah. yeah. Um, but song. recovering from that, I had to, you know, go back and think about the whole movie and process my reaction to it besides just the shock about the ending. And, you know, as someone who hasn't seen enough of these sort of classic and well-renowned movies, it's kind of difficult for me to process exactly how I feel about them because I feel like since they're so well-renowned that I should like them uh, and then it becomes tricky for me to balance like how much of my opinion of it is because i think i should sure. like it and how much of it is because i actually like it or maybe there's some criticisms of it that i'm not sure um that i'm not sure about you know it's kind of weighing those conflicting emotions and so i went there um but i could appreciate I a lot more of the movie after thinking about it a bit more i'd say that's good i, th I think though it's important to like have your opinions like on films like this yes and just because there's sort of like an ocean of people who think that it's a great film it, Clearly, it doesn't it right? doesn't mean that it's like great for everybody right and it doesn't mean and, it's invulnerable to criticism oh yeah, yeah totally right yeah like, there there's criticisms of this movie made i don't know if i agree with any of them but yeah there's and there's like a, there's like film history criticisms yeah. there's also just like just like talking about the movie as a whole, criticisms and um, yeah, so, so there's that. But it, it's good. Uh, I'm I'm glad you liked it. I, I like this film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so yeah. I certainly like the film quite yeah. a bit. It's just it's hard to reconcile with the like extreme praise that I've heard because like I I left feeling like it was a good movie, but I didn't leave with that sort of feeling I get of it being, you know, a historically great movie. Some, sometimes I watch a movie and I 
I can see why people would think of it that way. Like, I felt that way after watching Taxi Driver, for example. Uh, one of the few classic movies I have seen. <laughs> That's um, a good pick. And with this one, I was left not quite feeling that sense, you know. And, like, you know, people always praise Alfred Hitchcock's work. And I'm not sure if I really caught um, some of that genius, at least on the first impression. Um, I guess some of it has to do with the movie being rather slow at the beginning um, and the plot being kind of strange. Like, you know, he just kind of goes with the fact that this woman is possessed by a ghost and nobody seems to question this fact. Um, well, I mean, it kind yeah. of vacillates between, like, is she possessed or is she just going mad? Right? I, I and guess I think so. that that's what he's, like, leaning towards. It's like he's not actually following, following this woman that is right. uh, possessed by a ghost, but she's going crazy and he's... But then Hitchcock kind of plays with us a little bit. On that point, right? Because he has that, what he famously called the icebox scene, where she is goes into the hotel and he sees her go into the hotel. Yeah, that's a great scene. It's a great scene. Yeah. Caesar goes into when the, she disappears. And yeah, yeah. she's not there. And that was kind of freaky. It was yeah. freaky. And Hitchcock called it the icebox scene because his his goal with those kinds of scenes, which he would use throughout his career, was that people would get home and while looking at the icebox, go, "Wait a minute, what happened at the hotel?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and there's there's no answer, right? Like the movie doesn't provide an answer. We don't know what happened in the hotel. We don't know why she wasn't there. Yeah, and he makes no effort, and it's backed up by like the, the yeah. sort of tertiary character of the hotel, right? Just like uh, the desk lady, right? Like you're going crazy, uh, Jimmy Stewart. What are you, yeah, what are you yeah, talking about? Yeah, yeah. But that I think that's actually the moment that the movie like rehooked me because I hadn't. Yeah. I don't think I'd seen this movie since I was a kid. Um, which we can get into a lot because there's there's like a yeah. lot of like adult yeah. themes in this <laughs> yes. movie. Yes, there are. Um, but yeah, I think that moment kind of rehooked me because I was kind of like planning on watching like half of it last night and then like half of it That's before the wrong we, way to we watch met a movie. today. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it was late because like the Westworld finale was last okay. night, okay. Um, uh, and so I watched it after that, which is like a whole other thing. Um, but. That moment like rehooked me, and then I was just like sort of long for the ride. Yeah, because I, I yeah. agree that the movie is slow up until that point, and then yeah. the movie kind of just like takes off and right. is amazing after that. Yeah, and that beginning yeah. slow period yeah. plays way differently on subsequent viewings. Yeah, right, because you know that it's a scheme, right, and so you start watching like that. I can, I can see that. Right, like the yeah. the scene when he's meeting with Esther. What's his name? Esten, Gavin. The Gavin like, Elster. 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 Yeah. Like, thank you. The when he's meeting, Titan of shipping, of right? The West and he has that, that yeah. great shot where he's in front of the window, and there's all like this shipping stuff going yeah. on in the background. Yeah, right that's there. like the genius of Hitchcock. It's right. like that scene. But yeah, that yeah. whole sequence is because yeah. you realize that it's Elster putting on this show for Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, like on subsequent viewings, and whereas in the first viewing you are a member of the audience, whereas Jimmy Stewart is sitting in the place of the audience for Elster's show. Yeah, subsequent viewings you are in on it. You're backstage. Yeah. With Elster, like seeing <laughs> seeing them put this production on, yeah, and it it really colors the rest of that whole tailing sequence that follows it, and it it's okay. yeah, just yeah. Hitchcock at his finest. And I think like <clears throat> cinematically alone, the movie's like worth watching. So there's that scene. There's yeah. the the classic what's come to be known as the vertigo shot, which <laughs> yeah. is like yeah. the look down the staircase where it like pans really wide. Yeah, and, I wanted I wanted yeah. to comment about how much yeah. I appreciated um, the visual aspects of yeah. this film. Oh, like it's so out of control again. A lot of <clears> the yeah. plot the and pacing 
and writing, some of that, like, it didn't quite ring out to me as much. It didn't really right. resonate with me. But I immediately noticed a lot of the visual qualities of this film. Um, it's something that stood out to me more than a lot of other films do. So I guess that might be the appreciation of Hitchcock's genius yeah, um, that I mentioned not knowing about earlier. Yeah, because that, yeah. that vertigo shot, that dolly shot where he's looking down the stairwell it's was... A, it's a very striking... And it was invented effect. for Vertigo. Like, it, it had right. not appeared yeah, they, on they film figured before it out that. To do for this movie. So what he yeah. would do is dolly back and zoom in at the same rate. Yeah. yeah. That, so, it's like, so that's what creates <laughs> that Vertigo effect. And it's used throughout. And kept clear so, all throughout, which yes. is insane. Because yeah. they're... They're focusing the camera by hand while mm-hmm. that's happening, which is like totally crazy. Yeah, yeah. and um, and those the really wide, like depth of every single shot, like when they're in, yeah. um, I forget his friend's name. Midge. Midge. How could poor, I forget? Poor Midge. <laughs> poor Midge. God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, such a tragic character in this movie. She is. Uh, but her apartment is is amazing because it's like the conversation of the two of them kind of at different levels of depth in the apartment. Yeah. You see the whole apartment and then you see all of San Francisco behind yep. that like very clearly. Right. And you have and, these different levels like he's going up yeah. the stairs and down the stairs which is the same thing yeah. that happens in Elster's office. Right. Yep. Like just throughout the movie you have. Or um, when uh, the first like suicide scene we see the church we see jimmy stewart escaping oh, yeah. out the front that's a great shot and, I forgot about and that the one. priests and nuns like at the body right. on the back at the same time and it's like oh it's how did you do this no shot? cut yeah, yeah like how does it, i believe it's a matte painting too which yeah. is crazy so it's yeah, like the matte... tower was fabricated just for the movie yeah right yeah and so it's like that and like two things happening at once it's so right. good coordinated and, just right and just yeah. such a great act break there at that moment so that was I'm, something that i'm jealous of that like i wish i could <laughs> like do that in my work yeah yeah that was something that immediately caught my eye um was a lot of the setting design yeah. um, i bet yeah like it's something i noticed was how busy and lived in i guess the environments felt yeah um, like one of the first scenes was in midge's apartment i loved how full it was. yeah the so- scene was so full of material there's all her art supplies and furniture and color there's lots of color well, i want to note that as well it's yeah. well shot in technicolor well, and, right, and he uses it well. And yeah. yeah, it's like every movie should be shot this way in, <laughs> yeah. in Technicolor. Yeah. Something felt unique like, about these settings and how lived in they felt and how realistic they felt. I mean, a lot of movies do this, but something about the way they're done in this movie really stood out to me more than in any film I remember. No, it looks like it's shot in like the cereal aisle of like a grocery market. <laughs> like the colors are so intense. Like the yeah. saturation is just like amped up. It, it, I mean, obviously it's like, Comically intense. It was in those yeah. early scenes, yeah, and I, but I think it's used purposefully and, and effectively later on in the movie. Yeah, later the, yeah. the colors kind of <clears throat> like that neon light in her hotel room. Yeah, amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. But even in Justin Midge's apartment, like kind of the the pinks uh, and yellows, like, yellows mm-hmm. are, are just like so intense. Yellow. And yeah. the 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 green jaguar. Yeah, um, that he's following the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, right. It was such a, a great. Well, like, it, and then, of course, that brings us to Kim Novak's entrance, right, where he has the profile shot of her against the red wall in that restaurant, yeah, wearing the black dress with the green with shawl. The, the velvet... Velvet uh, red walls. But yeah, yeah, everything is wrapped in every velvet. Every environment yeah. is so yeah. rich and deep in yeah. color. Right. Like, most of the environments are that way. You have the red walls there, the yellow walls in Mitch's apartment. There's some, like, wood paneling. Also... Uh, the hotel has that 
dark wood interior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All, I mean, all the environments are mostly natural, too. Like, they, a lot of it wasn't shot on sets. Like, Ernie's is, was a real restaurant yep. uh -huh. in, yeah, in San Francisco. The museum is real. The Palace, yeah. Palace of Arts is real. So like these aren't sets like yeah I mean it's just finding like yeah, amazing I mean, some, yeah some of it was sets but yeah the location shots the establishment yeah. shots like those are in they, those were in 1950 San yeah. Francisco which is your hometown right Charles yep yep. yeah uh, so, uh, so I want I did want to note as well uh, I loved how much of a San Francisco feel the movie had a lot of movies don't feel very location dependent but this yeah. one definitely did yeah. uh, kind of in the same way that Annie Hall felt like a very New York movie. Right. Yeah, uh, I just we... really love when movies do this, especially since you know these two cities are the ones that I most closely associate with. You know, yeah. This one made me feel almost a little homesick. I felt very nostalgic sure. at home just seeing them go through all these San Francisco locations that you know I've been to. I've been to Fort Point. Sure. Um, I didn't think about jumping in. But, you know, it's, <laughs> a, it's a nice place to visit. Yeah, um, this is like nice San Francisco. Right. I think. Before yeah. it was infested. Before with it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now when I visit, it's like, oh, like, what is this place? <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's but, that bad. Uh, <laughs> There's still all these very pretty locations. As, as an LA fake <laughs> yeah. native, yeah, uh, yeah. Not, a, not a fan. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think there's, there, like, LA and New York are sort of like the number one and two movies that, or cities that appear in movies. Yeah. And then San Francisco is yeah. kind of like a very distant. Third, Chicago's um, up there. Chicago's up yeah. there. Yeah, but mostly as a stand-in for New York. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. In, in terms of where things are actually shot, then, yeah. then Toronto's really high on the list. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah also a stand-in. Yeah. yeah, again for New York. Yes. Right. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, but there's a lot of movies that are like, sort of like secretly about cities, uh, and so like the the one that comes to mind to me. So Annie Hall, very much New York. Sure. Um, and. Uh, Pulp Fiction is very much like about LA mm -hmm. and like a sort of a cheesier version of that is uh, Speed which is kind of like <laughs> yeah. shot around LA and it captures very much like a moment in time in LA right um, even I'm... even if some of the geography doesn't totally make sense in Speed um, I believe you <laughs> yeah <laughs> Speed's a, you don't like Speed? No, I like Speed just fine. I've just okay. never been to LA. Oh, okay. 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 I'm, I'm defending Speed. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to. Um, and so, like, I didn't realize that until I moved to LA and then kind of, like, rewatched a bunch of movies. And I was like, oh, these movies are, like, also about these cities. These places, yeah. Uh, and this movie is, like, very much a, also kind of, like, San Francisco as a character in it, this movie. It definitely helps to have been there. Yeah. 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 Well, it, and he uses it. With thematic purpose, right? Because I, I don't think Hitchcock accidentally chose the city with a bunch of hills yeah. for this movie about a guy going crazy, right? Like, he's falling down into It's madness, very fitting that a right? guy with vertigo would live in San Francisco. Yeah, right, right exactly. And I, I've driven in San Francisco, and that's the most <clears throat> terrifying experience. You, you park your car, like, at the bottom of this, it appears to be a 45-degree hill, and you're just like, how am I going to get up this thing? I'm going to roll back and hit the guy behind me or something. You yeah. Seems like punch it and go. I can't imagine driving at, like, a standard in the city. I just, like, yeah, go insane. Yeah, Dear but, God. Or yeah. even going, just going down the hill. Like, I mean, <laughs> this guy can't live in San Francisco. I don't I don't get how he does it, you know? Never mind in, the, like, the 1950s cars, which are, like, boats. And, <laughs> oh, like, kind of yeah. just, like... 
really turn because there's no power steering and right. you're, you're driving like a four thousand pound like Chevrolet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, he's tailing yeah. this woman in San Francisco through the hills and driving just fine. Apparently, he's he's not the best tail. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. He, well, he's a little he's, unsubtle. He stays like within a hundred yards. You know, it's funny. I noted how yeah. obvious and blatant he was about following it, but I I, I guess she it is, was all part of the scheme. It was. And I oh yeah, totally. It was part. It, they were trying to cue him. To realizing that she was not in her right mind, right? Because there's that scene in the cemetery where she literally walks right by him, and he looks at her, and she just is oblivious to it, or yeah. pretends to be yeah. oblivious to it. And so, yeah, I think that that was or by design. At the point where, yeah. like, he's like just parks like behind her. two spaces behind her, <laughs> yeah, and he looks like I don't think she sees me. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll admit this contributed yeah. to some of my like less positive feelings about the movie as I was watching it. I guess, yeah. but. You know, in hindsight, it all comes together because it's right. part of the right. scheme and he's being reeled into it. Right, exactly. And, yeah. and it, I think it, it shows, like, him wanting to get closer to her, right? It's not just... Because there's a lot of falling in this movie, right? Like, cause there's yeah, the literal, well, of course. There's yeah. the literal falling from Vertigo. There's falling in love, falling in love yeah. with her, falling into madness, yeah. falling down the hills of San Francisco, falling into San Francisco Bay, right? Yeah. Like, we're falling off the tower when everybody dies. Yeah. Like, yeah. so there's all this... There's all this falling in this movie, and I think that's more that's showing that in a literal way, right? Like he's falling in love with her, literally getting closer to her, falling closer to her. Yeah. And and so yeah, I think that Hitchcock is he understands what a bad follow looks like, and <laughs> and he was doing this on purpose. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, it still like kind of took me out of it for a moment, yeah, but on right. hindsight, of course, it, it like, yeah, it, it makes works. sense. With the, the whole scene, I'm just like. Man, he really sucks at this. It's like he's, he's he's not just like a cop; he's like a detective, right? He's a and like super a cop. senior he's detective. Good at his job, right? Well, yeah. Speaking of seniority, he is like like so much older than Kim Novak yeah. in this movie, like yeah. alarmingly. I read that that older. was a major criticism of the movie. Yeah. The day. <laughs> well, I mean, the same problem is in um, "A View to a Kill," the Bond movie, yeah. where he's like. Oh, yeah. Bond another is a classic San Francisco movie. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another movie totally about San Francisco. <laughs> um, no, because in that movie, Bond is like in in real life is older than the the Bond girl's mother, <laughs> uh, which yeah is awful. Yes, uh, and in this movie, I believe Jimmy Stewart's fifty and Kim Novak's twenty five. Yeah, she looks really yeah. young, and yeah. he looks. Really old in this he looks movie. Every year, like, at 50. and and yeah. frail. Didn't try like, to hide it. Yeah, it, it definitely like, seemed kind of off. Right. Yeah, I like. I was like con- concerned for him in a number of scenes, like because he's so frail. Like when he gets off the couch, he's like has these like very spindly limbs. And Jimmy Stewart's a really tall guy, long limbs. Yeah, and he just he yeah. looks like skeletal. Yeah, well, and but, they, yeah. they point it out, because it's yeah. not just that he has the mental problem, the vertical problem. He also yeah. has a back problem. It's like his first line is that his back is screwed up. So, yeah, he's yeah. falling apart mentally and physically yeah. throughout this movie. And, again, yeah. I think yeah. that Hitchcock is aware of that. And right? the, this is before, like, the, the like, touch of gray was popular, because yeah. he's, like, really gray on the sides. <laughs> yeah, because he had Wonderful Life was in the late 30s, early yeah. 30s. Yeah, so he would have Speaking been. of, like, classics that... Uh, like I, so I really don't like It's a Wonderful Life. No, it's. Yeah. I agree. I don't want to watch that movie. Okay, good. Okay, good. good. I know we were it's sort of in that conversation that earlier of like classics that you're like supposed to like. That's one of them. I really dislike that it's movie. It's so and he's amazing and treacly. But he's really good in it. Yeah, of, course, of course, he's good in everything. Right, but. and the same well, the same way that yeah. Tom 
Hanks is good in Forrest Gump. Doesn't mean I want to watch Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, have you seen Forrest Gump? I have Charles? seen Forrest Gump. Okay. okay. Thank God, too. You don't have to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. yeah. You can watch issue, it then. Yeah, it's sort of the hallmark of hallmark movies. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Um, so, Charles, have you ever seen a, a like a film noir movie? Are you going to talk about Bogart? No. In terms I, of. I, no, I don't no, think no. so. Just sort of in general. Okay. So, this, like, this is like Alfred Hitchcock doing film noir. This like, and uh, Man Who Knew Too Much. Yeah, yeah. totally. And so the there, there's I got based on my perception of what noir is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it. I mean, it's not shot in black and white, um, but that that's. I mean, that's kind of like one part of like film noir, but it's like not a dark movie in that sense. But like the sort of like character tropes are very film noir, and the the plot is like very film noir. It, yeah, it is. This, it, but I think that this gets us to some of the yeah. meteor thematic elements of this movie. Yeah, right. So like the classic like film noir plot pieces, you have the the femme fatale mm-hmm. who seduces the main male character and gets him to do things that he wouldn't normally do. And is like manipulating that character, and then one or both of them die. Right at the end, usually her. That yeah. sounds like the plot <laughs> yeah. of this movie. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so that that's like the film noir like plot trope. Right. Yeah. But in terms of what this movie does, is yeah. that there's a second act, right? Like, because we, we we get through those tropes yeah. within the first hour and ten minutes or so, right? Yeah. And then there's another fifty. We get the fallout of it. <clears throat> we get the well, we get the fallout, but we also see because. This movie has been called Hitchcock's most personal movie, right? And his most clear statement of how he views his own career. In that he's an older man obsessed with blondes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. An older yeah. man obsessed with blondes who treats them very poorly and directs them very harshly. Yeah. Because right? he's, he's constantly casting people that look like him no back, right? Like these mm-hmm. bombshell blondes, and then yeah. he just puts them through hell. He murders them and... and <laughs> Bathrooms. He sticks birds on them. He kills off all their loved ones. Whatever. Yeah. Like it, it's it's a it's very much a Hitchcock trope to do that. Yeah. And we see here Jimmy Stewart taking the directorial Hitchcock role yeah. to Kim Novak's, you know, bond, you know, Hitchcock blonde bombshell role, and Stewart doesn't look good here, right? Like he does not come off as a you know genius director. He comes off as an obsessive lunatic. Yeah. And so what we see is Hitchcock, in a sense, criticizing his own directorial habits and his own obsessive nature in his depiction of Jimmy Stewart and the relationship with the Kim Novak character. Yeah, and, and there's very much like a, um, like he's dressing her up, he's doing makeup, like these are all the things that like a director would do yes. to c- control... Getting the costume design Yeah, now. control what characters look right. like. Well, yeah. And specifically that Hitchcock does. He's a, he's a very fastidious director. He, would, uh-huh. he was the one that would go through yeah, detail, many, detail, many, detail, many detail. shots, right? Yeah. Okay. And he probably actually did it to Kim Novak here and then asked her to do that again in the <laughs> film itself. So you end yeah. up with these really complex metatextual layers uh, within this movie that is, on one level, yes, critiquing noir, noir tropes, and on another level, critiquing Hitchcock and yeah. critiquing filmmaking. And 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 also like the sort of his his use of like women in film, right? Because he, when she's like reappears in the film, she she kind of like she definitely comes off as like a prostitute. They don't come out and say it, right? But the way that she's like has her makeup and she has the, the way that she talks room. about working, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then to like turn her back into this like very glamorous like woman. Well, 
Right, and the, the equa- it's like the, classic, like problematic Hitchcock. Well, and the, the the equating of acting and prostitution. Yes, right, like yeah. bringing those two things together, which in many sense is exactly how Hitchcock treated women, and exactly how he treated the women that he works with. Yeah, I mean it it because on the one hand, yeah, it's problematic to do that, but he does it in a very self-aware way. The context here, if you mm-hmm. contextualize it within the movie, yeah, is clearly not him saying yes, it's a good idea for us to you know, transform women to meet our expectations, right? Like, he's not doing that. He's criticizing that idea. Yeah. And in so doing, also criticizing himself. And it's it's fascinating the way that it plays Yeah, out. bringing in, a, like, obsession, like, obsession right. with things. And right, it, well, deadly he's obsession. He's known as, like, an obsessive person. Right, right. yeah, not he, just an obsessive director. Yeah. An obsessive person. Yeah. Right, and... Both about women and about film, like, he's, he's known, as you said earlier, to, like, reshoot things over and over and over okay. again. Most famously... The, uh, the blood going down the drain in yeah. Psycho. Yeah. They shot that like a million times or something. <laughs> the and... gotta get the blood swirl just right. Yep. Yeah. Right, like, exactly. And and just like, same thing with... I think the... we've established we haven't seen Psycho. I have not seen Psycho. Okay. Right. This Psycho. is the only Hitchcock you've seen, right? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's a pretty one. good one to start I don't, I don't have this like, wonderful context to build off of, unfortunately. This is really interesting to hear. Well, this right. is a good one to like actually start on because it, it sums up Hitchcock Right. I, I, I was wondering about that actually. Like yeah. as I watched it again, because yeah. um, I've seen this movie many times. I watched, yeah. Last time I watched it was last year when it was screening well, at Film Forum. So I was wondering how much of a good in, entry point into Hitchcock this is because it's so it's so much a commentary on his other work. Yeah, but it's still like amazing. So it's like I think it establishes him as like like a real craftsman of, yes. of film. Yes, without with like, really unparalleled in. Like scene composure and use of color. Yeah, his amazing scene here is is fantastic. Yes. I mean, I think that the shot we talked about earlier is the highlight. But yeah. the other one that I love is because yeah. Kim Novak gets several entrances in this movie, and her uh, three right right uh, yeah, and her best one is the last one when she's coming out of the bathroom. Or no, four actually, because that's the painting. That's oh yeah. yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. But the the best one Which I want to get into but. is when she's coming out of the bathroom. And we have when that. She's like all dressed up, back as Madeline again. Right, when she's There's finally like. foggy like, smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, room. she's completed her transition. Yeah. And you have the neon from the light coming in through the window to hit her, and it looks like she's walking out of a dream. Like, yeah. Literally exiting her dreams. very surreal and creepy. Scene. Right, it is exactly that. And uh, it's that he was able to put that together and like bring in all of the different parts of this room yeah. to, bring, to evoke that idea is yeah. stunning. It's just an absolutely stunning shot. Charles, what did you think of the scene where, like, Jimmy Stewart, like, or Scotty, or Johnny? <laughs> yes, why or John, is he Scotty? Yeah, I don't yeah. understand. Uh, I assumed because he's a tech detective, it was, like, Scotland Yard, Scotty. Oh, okay. Maybe? That yeah. was, like, my assumption. <laughs> I, had, I, I could I be had wrong. no idea, so that's better than my guess. Okay. Uh, anyways, Scott slash John slash Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> um, the moment at which he breaks is he goes, uh, he's having, like, a nightmare. Okay, right? yeah. Do, yeah. do you remember? You must it's like, remember. It's the scene. trippy yeah. nightmare scene. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I was wondering. So, what, like, what did you think of that scene? I mean, it was certainly like a very strange departure from how the film had been going. Um, I don't know. It felt like it. If it didn't work, you I, can say that. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't like that scene, it's fine. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to coalesce my thoughts into words, but, like, it was interesting visually, but um, it seemed less effective at showing his breakdown and the madness than just actually how he treated Judy once he found her. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, right. Clearly, the long form of it is more effective, but it's visual storytelling. Yeah. yeah. So for me, this is that was like, I think my favorite scene in the movie. Really? Actually, yeah, because uh -huh. I that is like Hitchcock really showing his like horror stripes. That's true. And it, it wasn't as scary as I guess I expected it to be. It wasn't as quite as intense as I thought it, it was supposed to be. I mean, when he's really, looking, I found that scene to be scary. Like, when he's even watching his, it last night. Yeah, yeah, his own empty grave, right? Like, no, that that's not the part that got me. The part that actually really got me was um, when the painting is like the real. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. It's it's Kim Novak as the painting, mm -hmm. but in real life, uh -huh. not the painting. I was like, whoa, that is that is <laughs> yeah. like really well, she's really dressed scary. up as the painting. Yeah. Yeah. While he's like talking with Gavin Elster about being guilty about her dying, right? Yeah. At the funeral. And then she's standing between yeah, them. Yeah, which, no, you're right. Yeah. That's that, creepy. That is terrifying. <laughs> and yeah. uh, uh so amazing because um what's happening is they have the the bouquet, the which is like a sort of a motif of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's animated, so it's like the reel has like become drawn, and then the yeah. reverse happens to the painting, where like the painting, which is which yeah. is painted, becomes real, and yeah. so there's this like switch of reality. Mm -hmm. uh, That's a good and reason. The, the really met the metaphor is just like his is just like his reality is just like completely broken in that moment, and for me it was terrifying and like really. Hitchcock like flexing his muscles as as a, like a real horror director and someone who like really established the form of horror movies. Yeah, like yeah, I think uh, that's a really good read. And you're yeah. right that the flowers do keep coming back in this movie because yeah, we do have obviously her buying the bouquet and going to see such the a painting, great detail, which is too. great detail. Yeah. And but there's that shot right before she buys it where he's peeking at her through the door. Yeah, and it's another great use of color because yeah. we have this wonderful flower shop scene, but it's has this other shot where there's a mirror on the door. And you can see her in oh, the mirror. Yeah. Oh man! Uh, what him, a good scene! Clever. And yeah. him yeah, looking stuff. through the door at her. Yeah. And it's just it, like he gets so much information. <laughs> yeah. So elegantly. Some, yeah. Some like movies nowadays would do that in like a really cheesy way. Right. That is like not the how to do it perfectly. <laughs> yeah. And another moment, or like kind of one of the first moments in the film, where you're like, he's not good at tailing people. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> he's, he's like, like way too interested like, hey, in what she's looking doing. Through this right. Like, in the door? Yeah. 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 Um, and and like another trope of film noir movies where like they they fall in love like instantly, which is right. like and kind of a trope of movies of that time period. Like we saw that in King Kong, where these like yeah. two kind of random characters just like fall in love for, <laughs> kind of for no reason. I mean, so it yeah. made sense for John to fall in love with Madeline, yeah, because you see him like gradually become more and more obsessed with her as he's tailing her, and you know he clearly finds her very beautiful and all that. He's well, conflicted yeah. about her being. Uh, his friend's wife, and all that stuff. But it seems strange for her to fall back in love with him, considering their yeah, minimal interaction. I mean, like, at most, he saved her life, but she, like, that was part of the plan for him to be there and save her. And I again, he's, he's, like, ancient, too. Right, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. right. I think we kind of need to set that aside, right? Like, that's yeah. just the trope of the era. Like, we're not going to be able to reconcile that with reality. Yeah. Right. But I think that it's more of Hitchcock commenting on acting, again, right? Because... She's playing a role, right? When when she falls in love with Scotty, she is being Madeline. She is pretending to be Madeline. And I think it's, again, Hitchcock's saying, commenting on the impact that these harsh directorial choices, because she's getting directed by somebody else here, by Elster, right? Yeah. Like how, how they impact someone's psyche, right? And like where they can drive a person to be 
an actor to be directed that harshly, which yeah. she surely was here because she was being directed in such a way that she would set up a murder and, and help a murderer get away. So I think that it's not that implausible for her to be driven to an unexpected place psychologically. Um, and I think that the movie really does hinge on this romance working. Like, if the romance doesn't make sense to you, I think that the movie suffers significantly. And for yeah, because it wouldn't uh, make sense for her to, like, play along with Jimmy Stewart at it, all. Right, yeah. it, it, yeah. unless she was actually in love with him. And I, I, I bought it. I think that it works. Yeah. Um, there's this great moment right before she runs into the church where Kim Novak has been using her Madeline voice the whole time, which is, like, back in her throat, kind of haughty. She sounds like a rich girl. And right when she says... She asks him if she loves him yeah. and tells him not to follow. So she switches over to her Judy voice. I didn't I, notice that. I didn't notice it until this viewing. And I've huh. seen this movie a lot of times. And I thought it was just a really excellent choice on Kim Novak's part. Uh, a, an actor who's gotten a lot of criticism in this movie. Unearned, I feel. Um, mm -hmm. and, but I, I, I caught that and it really helped sell that relationship for me. Yeah. Or at least her end of the relationship for me. Okay. Charles, what do you think of Kim Novak here? I mean... I don't think I really noticed anything particular about her acting. I mean, apparently with, with some discussion, I picked out some of uh, Jimmy Stewart's, um, like, you know, acting highlights. Um, Kim Novak, I don't remember her doing as much besides looking pretty, she, I guess. She's I mean, really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she has to look kind of distressed in the second part when she's being, you know, paraded around and forced to do things <laughs> by Jimmy Stewart. Um, I don't know if it was as much of a standout performance. You, you seem to indicate that she'd gotten criticism for it? Yeah, she was probably the most widely criticized part of this movie. Like people, a lot of people think that Kim Novak just wasn't that good here, that she wasn't that interesting, that she was mm -hmm. kind of blanched into a lot with the role. Um, I think that's unfair. But I feel I, like a lot of that is a problem with how the character was written, right? Like I still, yeah. despite, despite what you just said about um, their relationship. I still feel kind of unconvinced that she would love uh, John back. Um, and that kind of contributes yeah. to how everything feels a little unconvinced. It's kind of a leap that you got to make with the movie, I think. I mean, yeah, it, yes and no. Like, I, I okay, just to stick on my it, position, But it, it's I hard like, to, so it, it could be unfair because, like, this is like we're looking back on this movie 50 years later. Right. And, or 60 years later. Yeah. And, 61. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's a, like a little unfair because it's like very much like of the time period where like characters just like fall in love again. Uh, yeah, I think that there's more going on here. Or I think that she gets a lot out of what might be an underwritten role. Yeah. Right? And I... Because you look at what her position actually is. Like what the character's position actually is, right? So she is dealing with both playing this role that isn't her, yeah. right? And processing her own guilt because she is instrumental in leading to this woman's death yeah. and then also processing the feelings that are developing for the Jimmy Stewart character and you see it all right like I think it's all in the performance and I, I think it all comes together uh, at that last at the top of the tower at the end of the movie yeah. right like you see her pleading with him and begging with him not to stop and you see all of that stuff her fear her <laughs> you see her fear you see her uh love, you see her guilt, you see all of this manifest when she's pleading with Jimmy Stewart to just stop. Yeah. I, and I, it works so for me. I really agree with well. that. I think one thing that like really damages the performance is when they explain the movie kind of like Hitchcock at the two-thirds point. And Hitchcock popped that scene. Yeah, yeah. I, I had heard that he was not a fan, but then the, the 
head of the studio is like, you have to have this scene. Sorry. Which, which scene are you talking about? So where, where she scene. writes the letter oh, okay. and then yeah. tears it up. Because that, like, really damages the movie, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure I agree entirely. Yeah. Um, I think First, I think it's really important that the reveal happens two-thirds through. I think that that needs to be It there. does add a lot of tension to yes. the scenes where he's trying to build her back into Madeline. Right, I, I agree. And that's classic, again, classic Hitchcock, because his famous quote is, surprise is a guy jumping out from behind a corner with a knife. Suspense is seeing a guy hiding behind a corner with a knife as someone approaches. Right? I'm paraphrasing, yeah, but it, that's, that's, that's true. Crazy. It just, like, over explains i think I, I, maybe like maybe it does and i think there might be a touch of that i don't think it's enough to hurt the movie significantly well i don't see why you don't just like shoot that scene but don't don't have her like do the voiceover just just like shoot her writing the letter mm-hmm. and then later like have her say it or something like no, that no, maybe that's you'll be like, at that no point. i think it needs to happen there in the movie i think that it's really important that we see this whole jimmy stewart go through this whole transformation knowing that Kim Novak is the person, yeah, like right, because right. he's he's forcing her to transform into the person that she was pretending to be, right? Yeah. Like she's going back, and I think that it's really critical that the audience knows that. And so I, I think that whether or not that was the best way, to I think get I'm there, with Hitchcock on this one. Whether or not it's the best way to <laughs> get I, there, I do not like this scene. I, I think that it's important that the reveal happens. Wait, okay, do you right? not like how the scene was done, or the fact that the scene exists in the first place? I, they reveal it at all? Yeah, I, I don't like that they reveal it at all. Oh, I think yeah. that's. I, I, yeah. I can understand problems with that scene as constructed, but I think it's just wrong to think that the real reveal should happen later. I think it needs to be where it happens. Mm. I feel like I, I think it could have sure, happened even later in the movie. I feel like if you're sure that about the twist, yeah, then like I said before, I, I really like the tension it added to the scenes after that. Yeah. that really lent to that psychological thriller, like yeah. feeling. Right, because if it's just a movie about Jimmy Stewart being obsessed with this stranger that he found on the street, right, like that doesn't play with the same complexity. No, no, I, right? I, I get, I get that. I just, okay. I think that it, I think it damages what is otherwise, like very subtle. That, I mean, but there's subtlety and there's obfuscation, right? Yeah. And, like, I don't think that we want a movie where we... Where it's it, a it bunch just, of confusing shit that happens, and then Hitchcock says at the end, wait, I knew what I was doing all along. No, right? no, I think that's fine. I just, I feel like this is the scene where they're like, okay, dumb audience, here's how the movie works. But at least it's and, clear, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's true. I, but that's just, I, like, I through value. Hitchcock's, like, storytelling. Right, but, yeah. right. And, so, I, and I, I'm not always sure what level the director's on, right? Like, it could just be... A tragic story of a man who like let who couldn't save someone from death, and then yeah. like falls for someone who's similar, and then it could also be like a tale of deception. I mean, it is both of those, but like it is good to know where the director is at, right? And uh, we, with the yeah, story, well, and it gets to be all those things because of that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, we kind of got to wrap. So, oh. Charles, would you recommend this movie? I'd say I would. It seemed it. Again, so you feel, like, tentative about that? <laughs> I, I appreciate more of the visual aspects of the film, as you can probably tell. Yeah. Uh, it's the kind of stuff that really stands out the most to me when I, when I watch films. Like, you know, I seem to be pretty bad at evaluating acting. Uh, I'm not as good at, like, you know, picking out subtleties there. But I can definitely pick out, you know, more of the subtleties in color use and cinematography mm-hmm. and set design and that kind of thing. Uh, those really stood out to me in this movie. Um, and, you know, well, it, yeah, it makes it a, a high recommendation for me, I'd say. There we go. High recommendation. Good. All right. Yes, there it is. There it is. <laughs> well, I, I think through an exercise like this, hopefully you see 
more of the subtleties in, in acting. Because right? yeah, it's right. not until you see the performances. I have to look more closely because I feel like yeah. when I'm watching these films, there's so many things going through my head as I'm trying to process what's coming through and yeah. what I think about what's going mm -hmm. on, what I think about the writing, what and, I think about how the scene yeah. looks, uh, that you know, some things get lost and I pay less attention, I guess, to the subtleties of acting. Yeah, I mean, there's that old quote that you never see a movie. You haven't seen a movie until you've seen it the second time. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something to that. <laughs> um, cool. So, offline, we discovered that you haven't seen an Indiana Jones film, which... <laughs> no, I think we discovered that on air, right? No, we did not. Okay. I think we caught it after... Uh, well, I'd have to go back and re-listen. Well, but I'm pretty sure we did not catch it on recording. <laughs> and... I think the, these kind of moments are why we do this podcast because it's like, <laughs> what what happened? Like, what did you miss? And you're you're such I a you're such a Spielberg and well, George, uh, Lucas. George Lucas fan. Sorry, right? Well, uh, I, well, I think and both to... of them are involved in the creation. I of, very of I very movie. much acknowledge how strange it is that I haven't seen those <laughs> no, movies yeah. yet. Yeah. Somehow yeah. it just never happened. I've definitely downloaded it's, the movies in the past and intended to watch them and just didn't. It's get around so. To it. What I assume to be up your alley. Too. Oh, you're going to love it. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I, yeah. And I, I said this offline to you guys that, like, I'm jealous that you haven't seen this movie because <laughs> it's so good. And, yeah. and watching it. Okay, anyway, well, and we're going to watch um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is the first the best. Indiana Jones right. movie. The, uh, so, 1981's Raiders. Uh, I'm stoked. Yeah. Me too. I, <laughs> I look these are to finally, some finally of, seeing these. Some of my favorite movies. Yeah, this. Yeah. Classic hot blockbuster filmmaking at its best. All right. Yeah. So next week, Raiders of the Lost Ark. See you then. Awesome.